3: Welcome, everyone, to the National Intelligence Report here at republicbroadcasting.org, uh, and we are carrying on the John Miller tradition here with the uh, program, and so I would like, first of all, to take care of a little housekeeping, would like you folks to, to go to republicbroadcasting.org and find something to buy or make a contribution. We'll make it just as simple as we possibly can because free speech is getting about as rare as truth in America today because somehow they're the same thing. But anyway, I'm very fortunate tonight. Uh, I've got uh, two uh, very good gentlemen, uh, very knowledgeable. And uh, first of all, we'll start with the gentleman who's farthest away, Matt jacobs out there in montana matt how are you this evening sir i am doing very good mike and i appreciate you having me on here oh man it's my pleasure and then let's bring in the gentleman from north Kakalaki up there on blackjack mountain frederick how are you buddy Greetings, good
2: sirs, and howdy to everybody out there in RBN land. Appreciate you having me on on this fine Friday, and thank goodness, hopefully, the thunderstorms are going to let me do this. <laughs> Cross <laughs> our fingers, right?
3: Yeah, it must have been a big thunderstorm. You had it in North Kakalaki, and I had it down here in Georgia. Yeah,
2: yeah we're definitely red dots up here on Blackjack Mountain.
3: Oh, big we're time, buddy. Tough,
2: like always.
3: Well, guys, we're going to jump into something, and one of the first things I wanted to ask, and I've asked this on social media, and the answer so far has been unanimous. I haven't found anyone who disagrees uh, or can offer an alternative. Has the United States government ever told the truth about anything? No. (laughs) No. What do you you think, uh, Frederick? Uh, You and I have uh, been in that uh, puzzle palace up there. Uh, What do you think?
2: I agree with Mister Matt, but also the caveat: if only if telling the truth can set you up for an even bigger lie later.
3: (laughs) Oh, that's called a psyop. Yes. (laughs) That's called a psyop. So we will tell you. Well, you got to bait your hook with something, guys. If you don't put a little truth on your hook, you'll never get boobas to bite. Very But true. then, but then once he bites, he's uh, stuck for good. But uh, normally, you know, uh, with me, uh, my focus over the years has been on the founding era of America, which I found to be uh, almost completely opposite of what I had been taught. For the majority of my life and then the other thing but uh i was fortunate uh, with uh, the civil war uh nonsense because my grandfather uh one of those north kakalaki boys uh he had several relatives he lived to be a hundred lived with me the last five years of his life and uh he uh had talked as a young man born in 1883 he had talked with our Confederate ancestors, his grandfather, his uncles, uh, a couple of his uh, distant cousins. He had talked with them, and so he had gotten the truth. And so I was fortunate in that respect that he taught me the truth about that one. But the others I had to learn on my own. But tonight we're going to jump into World War II and the lies that we have been told from day one. And, of course, these lies have always had some wonderful TV programs or movies to go with them to reinforce the lie and to throw the all of the emotion in there. All you need is, is a little bit of John Wayne and some other stuff, and I'm not saying John Wayne's bad, but a little bit of all of this stuff, and you just really get Boobus all over, you know, wetting himself over the lies that have been told. But the first thing I would like to lead off with here, guys, is some quotes from, none other than Winston Churchill himself. Now, and I think these are very revealing, especially when we look at the dates involved. Now, just as a refresher, you know, for America, allegedly, uh, World War II began with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, December 1941, so uh, the day that will live in infamy. So, uh, allegedly, so, We're going to look at a quote from Winston Churchill on a public broadcast in 1936. It's very short. We will force this war upon Hitler if he wants it or not, unquote. Then let's look at a letter from Winston Churchill in November of 1936 to United States Army General Robert E. Wood. And here is very short again, and I quote, Germany becomes too powerful. We have to crush it. Remember, people, 1936. Now, let's look at, move on to a book that was written by Winston Churchill, and it was called The Second World War. I'm not sure yet what year that book was published. Oh, 1960, I'm sorry. So, And here's what it says in his own book. He says, and I quote, Germany's unforgivable crime before World War II was its attempt to loosen its economy out of the world trade system and to build up its own exchange system from which the world finance could not profit anymore. We butchered the wrong pig, unquote. All right, let's move a little farther then. Let's look from what Winston Churchill said to Truman Fulton in 1946 after the war was over, and I quote, The war wasn't only about abolishing fascism, but to conquer the world sales markets. We could have, if we had intended so, prevented this war from breaking out without firing one shot, but we didn't want to, unquote. Now, Winston Churchill, and I'm jumping way back in time, to 1919, after World War I. And Winston Churchill says then, and I quote, Should Germany merchandise again in the next 50 years, we have led this war, World War I, in vain. Unquote. Okay, now jumping ahead a little more, Winston Churchill In autumn of 1939, on a radio broadcast from London, quote, This war is an English war, and its goal is the destruction of Germany, unquote. All right. Now, let's take a look at what Major General J.F.C. Fuller, an English historian, had to say. And I quote, not the political doctrine of Hitler has hurled us into this war. The reason was his the success of his increase in building a new economy. The roots of this war were envy, greed, and fear. Unquote. Now, let's look at the Sunday Correspondent newspaper in London in 1989, a little bit closer to home. Quote, We didn't go to war in 1939 to save Germany from Hitler or the continent from fascism. Just like in 1914, we went to war for the not lesser noble cause that we couldn't accept a German hegemony over Europe, Now, let's look what Lord Halifax, the English ambassador to Washington, had to say in 1939. And I quote, now we have forced Hitler to war, so he no longer can peacefully annihilate one piece of the Treaty of Versailles after the other, unquote. Then, to Churchill's chief counselor, Robert Lloyd Van Zittart, in September 1940, to Foreign Minister Lord Halifax, and I quote, The enemy is the German Reich and not Nazism. Nazism. And those who still haven't understood this haven't understood anything, unquote. Okay, the Polish ambassador in Paris in 1939, and I quote, it will be the Polish army that will invade Germany on the first day of the war, unquote. Hmm. And then, FDR, 1932, folks, this is nine years before the war. 1932, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, after he was elected president, stated the following, quote, I will crunch Germany, unquote. Now, let's look at a quote from Eugen I hope I pronounced this right, Gerstenmeyer, who was president of the German Bundestag since 1954, and here is what he had to say. What we didn't want to comprehend in the German anti-Hitler resistance during the war, we learned completely afterwards. This war wasn't led against Hitler, but against the people of Germany. Okay, let's see if I can throw in one more, well, maybe more than one more, but uh, these I think are all critical, guys, to understanding where we're going here today. But here is one, and I quote, Hitler and the German people didn't want this war. We didn't answer Hitler's various petitions for peace. Now we have to admit that he was right. Instead of a cooperation with Germany, which he had offered us, now stands the gigantic imperialistic might of the Soviet Union. I feel ashamed to see how the same intentions which we accused Hitler of are now pursued under a different name. That was Sir Hartley Shawcross, British chief accuser at Nuremberg. Okay, then let's see what U.S. Foreign Minister Baker had to say, and that will close us out on quotes, gentlemen. And I quote, we made a monster, a devil out of Hitler. Therefore, we couldn't disavow it after the war. After all, we mobilized the masses against the devil himself. So we were forced to play our part in this diabolic scenario after the war. In no way could we have pointed out to our people that the war was only an economic preventative measure, unquote. Well, Matt, why don't you start off? What do you think about those quotes, buddy?
4: I would think they're all true. I mean, um, they had a, it was a, it was a plan long in the making to destroy Germany. I actually had just come across a book. I don't know if you guys heard of a book called The Kaiser's Memoirs. Yes. From 1922. Yes. And it was just interesting that um, the Kaiser was talking about what he had to deal with prior to world war one and that Germany was not prepared or didn't want war wasn't looking for war, but it basically paralleled sort of what, uh, Hitler and the national socialists had to deal with leading up to, um, world war two. And, you know, basically the same players were involved with England and, uh, and Russia, but the Kaiser at the time. So, yeah, I mean, my, in my view, uh, is that on um, World War II with Germany? Because obviously everything we've been told about Germany is basically a lie, and I feel that like Germany was the last organized national resistance on an international scale to the communist new world order and the Great Reset that we're currently seeing unfold today. So,
3: lots of um, parallels, Matt. Lots of parallels. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. But- No,
4: that's right. I mean, what Germany was fighting against uh, prior to the outbreak of World War II is literally what we're seeing today. Uh, But since most people don't know, you know, the German story and what they went through, uh, you know, people don't realize it. Um, And, you know, one like quick example would be prior to the war, the Germans were criticized about book burning. Right. But they don't tell you what books they were burning. And they were burning all the communist literature, pornographic literature, pedophilia, um, homo-perversion literature. Um, And now look at what's happening today. What's being put in our schools and our libraries? You know, the Germans also fought against, you know, obviously the perversion of their society, you know, quote-unquote free love and all that. Well, what did our enemies roll out in the 60s? You know, the hippie culture, free love. But nobody realized that that's what the Germans were fighting against, was the sexual degradation of our society. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of parallels.
3: (laughs) Oh, very much so. Uh, uh, Frederick, your thoughts, my friend?
2: Great bucket of nuggets there, my friend. I can't wait to go through and list all those again and make memes out of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And... You know, for those who don't know me, you know, World War II is particularly sensitive in my family because I come from a military family. My father was one of those, you know, North Kakalaki mountain man warriors, the best fighters the American uh, side ever had, right? This Appalachian region, you know, we make good warriors. My dad was one of them. And when Pearl Harbor happened, he did the right thing and Went and joined up and went into the navy and then went into the uh, later would go on to the you know army air corps and that became the air force and you know he retired after his full twenty years and uh, you know was quite decorated at all and so you know I never ever questioned the official story of we were the good guys in World War Two and. You know, because, of course, my father wouldn't have fought on the wrong side. And then, of course, you know, my sister's first husband you know, died in Vietnam, uh, you know, and so, you know, we're a military family. So it's hard when you uh, and I used to do a lot of training for the military and the intelligence agencies and things like that before I got the curse after 9-11 and they didn't need my services anymore. Um, but, you know like so many of us yeah I never questioned it until after 9/11 and then like Mr Matt was saying is you realize this was just a series of events in the long game that these people had a very long game uh, approach to this and this is why World War 2 was such a different war World War 1 You know, it's a different game theory. And the people know me, I do a lot of stuff with game theory. And, you know, it breaks down to this idea of the hidden hand was manipulating all the sides to say, let's you and them fight and we'll finance both sides. And the net sum or the zero sum game was lots of white European Christians killed each other, right, because they were forced to by their state powers that had become corrupted by the slime mold that had infiltrated. So to show the long game, I would like to humbly add a couple of nuggets uh, that I brought. And one is the deathbed confession of Gertl Schnapper, uh, who was wife of Meyer Amschel Rothschild in 1849, and said, if my sons did not want wars... There would be none. And you go back and you find out that when they started up this, you know, Zabatean, Frankus, you know, Black Magic Hidden Hand Illuminati organization that became Zionism, that became communism, you know, Meyer uh, Ramsh- Rothschild sent one son to Frankfurt, Germany, and one son to Vienna, and one son to London, and one son to Naples, and, you know, they, uh, and one to Paris. And they basically set up these, you know, hidden hand things that infiltrated all the Masonic lodges, etc. And next thing you know, you had these corrupted leaders sending you off to war to kill each other, right? And, you know, who benefits from this? Key bono. And so, yeah, they're definitely playing the long game here.
3: Well, absolutely, guys. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever. Well, we got some music coming on. We'll be back in a few, folks. Happy
0: It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at tlbtalk.com and join the social media revolution.
1: Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead, and that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Marine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at ltd at net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602-799- 8214 or visit our website, sierra madre precious com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure. Just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you.
3: like we're back here, folks. Back at, at you here at Republic Broadcasting, and uh, we are delving into the lies of World War II. So, uh, just wanted to, uh, since we mentioned, of course, the uh, quotes from Shakespeare. All the um, Shakespeare. Oh, first day with my new brain uh, of Churchill that he was making statements very early on in the 30s about they had to crush Germany. Uh, Are you gentlemen familiar with Rudolf Hess and his move into Scotland in uh, May of
2: 1941? I am, you know, just that we want peace. What will it take to tell you that the German people do not want war? And that uh, he would make such a sacrifice if I'm remembering the story correctly,
3: well and that is correct, and he said, we will move our forces out of he named all of the places they would move their forces out of France they would move their forces out of other places on one condition Frederick, do you know what that condition was nah the one condition was is that Winston Churchill resign as prime minister oh. huh. Were you familiar with that, Matt?
4: I did not know the end there, no. I didn't
3: know that. So, he was willing, they were willing to pull back all of their forces out of Europe in most places. Now, Hitler did want to keep the farmlands of that were available. He wanted to maintain those because those were German-speaking people. So, he wanted to maintain those. But Hess says, look, we can stop all of this right now. But, naturally the folks in england were not about to get rid of churchill it was too deep okay now here's a question i've got for both you gentlemen both you knowledgeable gentlemen who committed the first act of war that we are aware of between japan germany and the united states
4: Uh, I would say America, economically.
3: Okay, uh, give us give us a a little bit more meat there to chew on there, Matt. Um,
4: well, they were trying to put Germany and, well, actually, I guess you could go back. I'm not sure exactly how I should answer this, but I mean the first. I guess the act of war really could have started with the Versailles
3: Treaty, right? <laughs> against uh, against Germany. Yes, that, that would be true. But when we're talking about the 30s and the run-up to what we call, you know, America was a sneak attack. We're about to uh, just trump that into the dirt here in a minute. But the, uh, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor. But did, in fact, did FDR actually commit what would be termed, in any vernacular of the day, acts of war against Germany?
0: Okay, yeah. So
4: I, okay. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, against Germany, and, uh, oh, man, I think it was September 11th. September 11th, uh, that wonderful day that they love in 1941, I believe that he uh, issued an order to shoot on
3: sight any, um, any uh, German submarines. True, and he also had told his military commanders, Navy military commanders, to do anything possible to get Germany to fire upon their ships. Yep. And the and Hitler was smart enough. The Germans were smart enough. They saw the bait. They refused to take it. But was not, and I'm going to throw this one at you, Frederick, was not the Lend-Lease program an act of war? I would
2: say yes, <clears throat> but my answer—can I give my answer? For oh, please do, the please first, do, buddy. Is trick question, and this is the same answer that almost got me arrested at the Appalachian State University University Summer Symposium on the Holocaust, presented oh, no. by the uh, Center for Judaic Holocaust and Peace Studies, financed by the Schaefer Dykes <laughs> from uh, Boca Baton, Florida. But 1933, during the season of Purim, March 24th, Judea declares war on Germany. Jews of all the world unite, boycott yep. German goods. And that was a hate fact, and I almost got arrested for it. Boom, North Kakalaki.
3: Oh, you were up there with the mountain <laughs> queers. Uh, Mountaineers, uh, the I'm mountain sorry. queers, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is... You know, And this is the thing that most Americans just can't wrap their head around Of course you have to want to know the truth And most Americans don't want to know anything that makes them uncomfortable So they don't want to know the truth about this But when when they, that of course Was we have to force this war on Germany Is exactly what Hitler said I'm sorry, here I go again Churchill said, we have to force this war on Germany Whether they want it or not So it's very simple, and they tried everything they possibly could. Now, we got some music coming again, guys, and we'll be back on the other side. Please stay with us.
0: the truth you're listening to republic broadcasting network real news real talk real people because you can handle the truth
5: are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs for some the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare You can try Hemp Paste for the price of a cup of coffee.
1: HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN.
5: Here at Republic Broadcasting Network, we have been building our online store. While well, we have been focusing on bringing you the best talk show host in the country. Here at Republic Broadcasting Network, We also want our listeners to have products they can use every day and in times of emergency. We have added new products each week to our store. Your support of this network, plus products at the best prices, is a win-win situation. Check out our new store. Go to our website, republicbroadcasting.org, and click on the online store located at the top of our website. Together, we can continue to grow RBN and help our listeners prepare for the future. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on our online store or call us.
1: 800-724-2719, extension 3. 800-724-2719, extension 3.
6: Did you know that essential oils have had a multitude of natural health and skin uses in history, but have been somewhat forgotten by recent civilization? Susanna's Secret offers 100% pure and natural oils at prices you can actually afford. Do you have a house or office with a musty smell or mold? Studies have shown that essential oils like the one in our Thief and Robbers blend will kill or inhibit mold, viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Just diffuse with it and you will see the long-lasting effects that even synthetic chemicals don't achieve. Purifica, another one of our products used to clean and freshen your house, or give a natural scent when drying laundry. For that special lady, we offer a ginger argan oil in a beautiful cosmetic bottle. Or a pure argan oil, a natural acne fighting product. Check us out at SusannaSecret.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. folks uh back
3: again uh and uh i was just thinking uh during the break there guys is that uh, this is such a deep subject we may have to do more than one program on this because i was just thinking ahead at all of the things we have to cover in the time allotted and i'm seeing the fact that of course we want to give some folks a chance to call in during the second hour and i'm just seeing the fact that we're not even going to really get into this as deep as i would like to in just one session so i hope that you uh, gentlemen would be willing to come back at a later date and continue to pursue this
2: sure oh most definitely
3: i love talking about this <laughs> all right fantastic that and it, it is such a great subject uh and now we've talked about Rudolf hess going to uh england and saying look we will withdraw in europe if you will just get rid of Churchill, because Church—they were well aware that Church—Churchill was the instigator behind this war. They were very much aware of that, and I don't blame them. I would probably would ask for the same thing, but it was turned down. So here we have, uh, you know, a couple of things going, and the one thing I was wondering, which way you gentlemen would like to go with this? Uh, how? familiar are you with what actually instigated the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor? Frederick? Uh,
4: somewhat. Um, I've focused more oh, Matt, on
2: the German side of it, but Yeah, one of my favorite nuggets that I think I got from you, Mr. Rebel Madman, was the 1940 October 7th McCullum memo that remained classified in 19, not till 1994, which yes. basically outlines exactly how they were going to manipulate Japan into doing that. And they knew well in advance, and they let it happen. You know, that's huge. <laughs> I didn't learn that in uh, primary school, secondary school, college, or university. I had to
3: go to the Rebel Madman to learn that nugget. <laughs> oh. well, well, thanks for the plug there, buddy. Uh, I think it's critical that we cover this aspect. How many uh, people are have ever heard of a German, uh, I won't call him a gentleman. That would be much too kind. But how many of you have ever heard of or know the background of one Harry Dexter White? I've heard of him. Uh, uh, well, what do you, I don't wasn't know he that. Involved? Uh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, what uh, Tell tell us what you know about Harry Dexter White. I was just going to ask, wasn't he involved in the Lend-Lease Oh, very much so, but much deeper than that. And, uh, Matt, could I ask you, uh, what was his real name? I do not know his real name. Well, his real name was Harry Weiss, W-E-I-S. Ah, of course. <laughs> and, and he changed it, and he adopted the name Dexter to be more American. Okay, he was obviously, although they, in today's world, if you go to Google and all this other stuff, they're going to tell you he was not a Soviet agent. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Russians have a word for that, and it's called <laughs> Uh So, uh, Blackbird, uh, Frederick, you're telling me you're not familiar with Mr. White that well?
2: No. And so this is a great thread. I'm loving this, learning something new, and that he changed it to Dexter, and it's Weiss, because the same uh, name was Carl Weiss, echo, 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 who is the proud, you know, Zionist who assassinated Governor Senator Huey P. Long, so he couldn't run against FDR for second term. Uh-huh. And, you know, and he's got you know plaques and monuments all over Israel for being a national hero, right? And, yeah, this guy was just doing a propaganda of the deed to take out the competition. You know, even the best of the goyim have to die. And Huey P. Long, the kingfish, was one badass guy. And he was standing up to Standard Oil, and he was against the war and was, you know, agreeing with Henry Ford, agreeing with Father Coughlin, you know, uh, the Lingbergs. You know, they were all tight, standing up against this, you know, Jewish hidden hand mob, and they paid the price.
3: Oh, absolutely. Well, then, would you, either one of you gentlemen, be uh, aware of who Harry Dexter Weiss, who his uh, go to guy in the FDR administration was? I do not
2: know. No idea. This is great.
3: Well, guys, have you ever heard of Henry Morgenthau? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Another one of them. Okay, connect the dots here, guys. We have another chicken slinger in the audience. Okay, so here is his connection. Now, if you do a deep dive, which, uh, Frederick, I was able to do at our former employer, uh, I was able to do a deep dive into some documents, and I found out that without the shadow of a doubt that Morgenthau was... In fact, FDR's Secretary of State. Now, he was listed as Secretary of Treasury, but they went around Hull. They made all kind of machinations to move around Hull. Hull was there as a political figure, but the most of the decisions that were made were made through none other than Mr. Morgenthau who was getting his marching orders from Harry Dexter Weiss. Now, gentlemen, who was giving Harry Dexter Weiss his marching orders? I want to (laughs) know. Frederick, any ideas?
2: No idea.
3: Well, have either of you gentlemen ever heard of Vitaly Pavlov? I don't
4: think I have, unless he was in the, uh, I may have, <laughs> was he in the book written about
3: Lendley's? Um Major Jordan's Diaries, was he mentioned, or no? Oh, I'm sure he's got to be there somewhere, but uh, Mr. Uh,
2: in k v d or something?
3: Uh, yes, he was definitely, he was a lieutenant general in the NKVD. Ah, and so he made frequent contact in Washington, D.C. with none other than Mr. Weiss oh. White. I'm sorry. He made contact with him on multiple occasions. And one of the things that was happening in early 1941 was Stalin started purging his officer corps. Now, I know both of you gentlemen are familiar with that. Because he, he wasn't sure who he could trust or what have you. So he was doing a lot of purging, but he had all of the confidence in the world in Vitaly Pavlov. Now, Pavlov actually came to America and would be driven in a Soviet embassy car to meet Harry Dexter White. Now, there is official documents that prove this although they might be on the seventh floor at the NSA uh, by now. But anyway, so Stalin is worried about something. He knows that eventually he's going to have to fight Hitler. But he knows that he cannot fight a war. He does not have the resources to fight a war on two fronts. Who was doing the invasion of Manchuria at that time, Matt? That was Japan. Aha. Now we're beginning to establish a link. So Stalin knew that it was impossible for him to fight the Germans on the eastern front and the Japanese on the western front. He had to get the Japanese off of his radar so he sent Vitaly Pavlov to Harry Dexter White and gave him in a meeting in a restaurant gave him a piece of paper that was codenamed Operation Snow Frederick are you familiar with that that one I don't know Matt, have you heard of Operation Snow? From you, and I've read a little bit about it, but I'm not <clears throat> that familiar with it. Okay. Well, here's what they had to do was they they had to come up with a plan. Now, how many people are aware? We're not told this that Japan had the Japanese people had come to the American people in Washington on several occasions in 1941, doing everything within their power to prevent war. Yep. And they were pretty well ignored. So here was the plan. Operation Snow would be the operation with Harry Dexter White, working through Henry Morgenthau, working through FDR to start doing the financial blockades of Japan to force her, because Japan had no petroleum industry of its own. So here was the plan of Operation Snow. Let's blockade all Japanese access to petroleum and force them to go to war with the United States, which puts them takes them out of the picture for Stalin on his Western front. Make sense, guys? Yep. Totally. So, the thing begins to be a little bit better understandable if we get into that. Folks, there is a book out there that is called Operation Snow. And I would highly recommend that you avail yourself of that book, if at all possible, It's available in, you know, Kindle. It's available in hardback, softback, uh, paperback, uh, and also in an audiobook form. I highly recommend, if you are interested in the truth of this maneuver, that you get that book. Now that we have that in place, and that book will give you a lot more information than we're going to be able to give you here today in the time frame that we have. And like I said, we're going to need to pursue this subject on, I think, uh, on at least an, at least one more get-together, if not two. So I hope you gentlemen are amenable to that uh, pursuit, because I think the American people, those who really care, need to know the truth about what happened. So there is no doubt, regardless of what books you look look at, is that FDR knew the Japanese were coming to bomb Pearl Harbor the Japanese code had been broken in June of 1941. Is that correct, uh, Frederick? That's my understanding. So whatever information the Japanese were sending, I, it did, didn't they call that the J-25 code or something like that, Frederick? I couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, I remember something of that nature, but we were tracking the Japanese fleet, all the way across the Pacific. They knew they were coming. So people, let's put this into the proper proper perspective of which Matt made a very great point early on, is the fact that what we're seeing today is a replay. And the reason they keep using it is because it keeps working. Because until we catch on as a people, we're, we're going to continue to fall for the same tricks over and over and over again. And this is a classic case. Now, folks, I know it's going to be hard for people to, to accept, but FDR and his handlers, most of them were Soviet agents in his administration. There were over 230 Soviet agents In the FDR administration, all the way through the Department of Agriculture, all the way through everything. And this is the thing, uh, you know, I'm going to jump ship here just a little bit, but I want to get both of you gentlemen's response. Matt, is there any difference between communism, socialism, and Zionism? No. I
6: don't believe there is.
2: Frederick? No, it's a you know it's a two-tiered centralized master-slave system, you know, and it's all based on the same thing, you know. Especially looking at it from a game theory perspective, it's like yeah, they're all the same model.
3: Okay, well here's another question that I that I have that always stuck in my mind, which I couldn't figure out. In 1932, 1933, Stalin in the Ukraine starves to death. Depending on who you want to listen to or whose facts you want to believe, somewhere between seven to nine million Ukrainians, he starved them to death purposely. There was food, he just starved them to death. The United States covered that up in the New York Times. I believe the gentleman's name was Walter Duranti, who made the asinine statement. He, he went to, uh, uh, allegedly, went to the Ukraine to prove that Stalin wasn't starving these people to death. And he comes back and he says, no, all of these reports about the people being starved to death is untrue. They are, in fact, dying of the maladies associated with malnutrition. Really? That was actually what was published in the New York Times, and the American public fell for it probably a football game that weekend i'm not sure but anyway they did not pay any attention to this here is my point if the fdr administration was not ad- in effect administered by the communist by the socialist by the zionist if it was not controlled by them you know what Why would you accept and become an ally with the man who had just committed mass genocide of seven to nine million people? Thoughts, Matt? Yeah, no. I
4: mean, obviously, that's a good question that everybody should be asking. Um, I mean, I think you can back it up to what you've discussed a lot on your other programs uh, back to the 1848 communist revolutions in Europe, and then what happened here in the Civil War, um, which I've all learned from you, um, you know, after the Civil War, it looked like our government was basically taken over by the communists. Um, so why would we think that by 1932, what, we suddenly have a real republic with Christian leaders who want us to have freedom. <laughs> I mean, is that what we're supposed to think. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think we've been deceived for a long time thinking that we actually have a democratic or Republican or free government. But in reality, we we've had a communist government government for a long time. One quick quote that I thought was interesting from a German because they were under that impression too, because they had hoped that America would side with them and fight against the true evil, the communist Soviet Bolshevik Russia. And Ernst Craig was a a battalion commander of the Das Reich division. And he said, by 1945, I finally saw the war for what it was, a united front to destroy the ideas that were a threat to communism and world Jewry. And I think that pretty much sums it up because finally realized the U S Britain, they weren't
3: coming to help Germany. Hey, Matt, we never you, see the truth. Matt, would you please read that quote again? It deserves a second airing and just slow it down a little bit in case we got some folks out there who uh, are thinking about football. Sure. Sorry about that. No, so no, quote, no apologies needed. I just asked for a just make it slower for the for the folks. Let's reemphasize because that point is dynamite. Sure. So it's a
4: quote from Ernst Krag, a battalion commander of the Das Reich division, and he quoted where he said, By 1945, I finally saw the war for what it was, a united front to destroy the ideas that were a threat to communism
3: and world Jewry. Amen. Your thoughts on that, uh, Frederick? Great quote. And when you put the timeline in of
2: 1915 to 17, you had the Armenian genocide, which the Dome and the Young Turks murdered over 1.5 million Armenian Christians because their views were against communism. And then you had the U.S. in 1917 passing the Selective Service Act requiring men 21 years old to 30 to register for the draft. Then we got into World War One. Then you had the Russian Bolshevik Revolution and the Czech and the NKVD just killed tens of millions, right? And then you had, of course, World War One, and then... You had, uh, like you're saying, the Holodomor coming in under Stalin. You know, you just see this systematic. And, you know, here in the United States, you know, we had the Great Depression, which I say was the American Holodomor, just like the so-called potato famine in ireland you know these were the same people doing these mass kill-offs manipulating marketing and banking which they had controlled through these hidden hand agendas right so our governments had been infiltrated by the slime mold that was setting up all these conditions to have these wars and massive starvation things because they are trying to get rid of all of we uppity amalek that stand in the way of their new world order, you know, and this is just the reality of we're dealing with an adversary who wants us dead and they think it's God's order a mitzvah to do it by any means necessary. And that's what we're up against and people don't like
3: to hear that. But yeah, that's kind of the reality. Well Frederick, would you parallel that? Please, and then I want to ask Matt to do the same thing. Would you parallel that with what we are facing in this country today? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know,
2: nine eleven was just another launch of another series of events to turn North America into a Calergy plan, Cloward pivot plan, failed state, that then can become a vassal state of these international bankers, now known as the World Economic Forum and, you know, all of these other great things they come up with it, and you're heading towards the great reset of 2030. You know, these are just people playing the long game to total global domination and we're their arch enemy apparently and they're ordered one of of their 613 mitzvahs three of them deal with saying people like me don't deserve to live and we definitely don't deserve to have an independent free life because we're all goyim slaves to them so back to you (laughs)
3: Oh, and Matt, your thoughts, Uh, please correlate what uh, we have just talked about with this uh, Holodomor and the others. Would you correlate that with what we're facing, staring right in the face here in America today, please?
4: Yeah, well, so you're saying, like, obviously they starved the Ukrainians, which they also did, you know, to the Russians. And what are we seeing here now? How many poultry plants and food manufacturing plants have been blown up? right there. Exactly. Um, yeah. Are uh, There was a, um, I remember where I read it, but somebody had posted, it was like just a regular farmer. I think it was like a year ago, how he had found um, metal shards put in his grazing field that luckily they caught before the cows, um you know went out and grazed. So, you know, they're trying or they're they're in they're moving towards trying to starve us out and ruining our food supply and now with the right the supposed vaccine of of poisoning all our meat. Um but yeah, yeah, I mean not like you said before, nothing's nothing is new. What they've done before they're doing now. What they did to Germany, um and all of the Eastern European countries, Ukraine, Hungary, Romania they're now just doing to us and to all the rest
3: of Europe. Well, very well said. And I just wanted you gentlemen to know uh, both uh, Frederick and uh, Matthew, uh, there is a uh, email on the way to you gentlemen with the operation snow book review. All right. Thank you. So I wanted you gentlemen to both have that so you could uh, peruse it on your own and uh, see uh, exactly, uh, you know, what Operation Snow was and and how it came about. It is uh, most revealing, and especially, uh, you know, it uh, would be very meaningful to uh, uh, Blackbird Nine and myself having been in the oxymoronic field of uh, government intelligence at one time. Uh, so here is, you know, as we look at this gentlemen, I would ask you as we're nearing the end of the first hour, uh, Matt and, and thank you guys for offering to come back on another time as well and here we are with the music so we'll be back on the other side guys thank you so much and we'll see you on the flip side We need
0: leaders who lead us, not stick us and bleed us. take all
7: Hello, I'm Dr. Leonard Horowitz. I was right 30 years ago in warning the world about threatening lab virus outbreaks, AIDS, and Ebola. I was right 20 years ago when FBI Director Robert Mueller made me a suspect in the anthrax mailings because I warned the bureau before the CIA's biocrime and Cipro sales psyops happened. I was right about COVID-19 being an AIDS-laced mutagen plan to resurge this fall to excuse officials' profitable depopulation globalization agendas. And I was right about the only safeguards being antioxidants and holy spiritual sustenance. Vitamin C, D, zinc, chlorophyll, oxygen, and oxysilver especially transmits the frequency resonance to neutralize the expanded function bioweapon. silver is a double superconductor of the healing power of love. It is the first nutraceutical invented to amplify prayer power and the faithful, loving intention of your heart. Buy, try, and stockpile OxySilver through HealthyWorldStore.com.
0: You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.